0: Making people's lives better.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. There's new information from the 2011 Canadian Census this week, and the big news is Zoomers. There are more of us than ever, and our numbers will keep
2: growing. I think one of the things they have to recognize is that the people are going to work longer, and there's very little development done around staying in the labor force longer. I'll
1: talk to author David Kravitz about how government, business, and the younger generation can prepare for this new reality. Are you a hunter or a farmer? Renowned Dr. Mark Laponis thinks we're all either one or the other, and that determines what we should eat to stay healthy at a healthy weight. He'll tell us more a little later on. How many roads must a man walk down? And this week, Bob Dylan was awarded the Medal of Freedom by U.S. President Barack Obama. It's the highest award a civilian can receive, and it honors Dylan's incredible contribution to American culture. Coming up... We'll hear some of the music that made him an icon, but first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Researchers believe they've found one of the secrets to living a longer life, staying positive. The study out of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York analyzed nearly 300 people with an average age of about 97, and here's what they had in common being optimistic, easygoing, sociable, and conscientious. What's more, according to Dr. Nir Barzilai, the lead researcher, some of these people had the opposite traits earlier in life, but adapted to them with age, meaning there's hope for all of us who still need to make a few changes. There's mixed news about Zoomers and unemployment in the U.S. The unemployment rate for people 55 and over is up from 6.3 to 6.5 percent in May. But that includes a drastic jump for older men. Their unemployment rate jumped from 6.3 percent to 7 percent. However, it seems the women are doing a bit better. Their unemployment rate actually declined to 5.6% from 5.8% in April. Another piece of good news is that the length of time that jobless older workers have been unemployed has dropped. It was 60 weeks in April, and it's now down to 56 weeks. It's been almost a year since the passing of political icon and former NDP leader Jack Layton. Now there's a new proposal to honour him by renaming the Toronto Island Ferry Terminal the Jack Layton Ferry Terminal. The idea is being championed by Mayor Rob Ford, who says that sitting next to Layton when he was first elected helped teach him a lot about politics. Jack Layton had special ties with the Toronto Islands. He worked as an auctioneer for the Island Public School, played an active role in saving the island residents' homes, and also married his wife, Olivia Chow, on Algonquin Island. And finally, he's a good friend of ours here at the new AM 740, and once again, John McDermott has proven his heart is as big as his voice. A man named Glenn Weidman was one of John McDermott's most devoted fans, and he saw the tenor sing many times. He spent the last few weeks of his life in hospital, where his daughters tried to arrange a special treat to lift his spirits one last time. They contacted John and offered him $1,000 to visit Glenn in the hospital. McDermott said he'd be happy to arrange a visit, but of course wouldn't accept any money. Sadly, things moved quicker than expected, and before McDermott was able to visit, Glenn Weidman passed away at the age of 74. So John asked if he could sing at Glenn's funeral. Glenn's daughters were thrilled at this idea, and on Thursday, John sang the hymn Weidman had requested before his death, Amazing
0: Grace. Shows that
1: I'm Libby Zneimer and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. If there's strength in numbers, new census data shows that Zoomers are a mighty force in Canada. The latest release from the 2011 survey shows the number of people over 65 has exploded in the five years since the last census... And Zoomers now make up a higher proportion of our population than ever before. That trend is expected to keep on growing rapidly as the baby boom generation heads for retirement. What does this mean for our future? I'm here with David Kravit, a VP at Zoomer Media and the author of Beyond Age Rage. David Kravit, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: The latest census numbers came out this week, and they were certainly no surprise to anyone here at Zoomer Media. They show that the number of Zoomers age 65 are over-increased by more than 14% to nearly 5 million, and that the fastest-growing age group is, in fact, centenarians, people over 100.
2: It's strictly the inevitable progression of the math. The birth rate is barely at replacement. People are continuing to live longer and longer, so um, you're seeing uh, what's inevitable. What does that mean for the country? Well, I think it means that the uh, urgency of dealing with certain uh, consequences of aging is upping all the time. And I think that accounts for a lot of the sort of acrimony between the generations that we've been talking about.
1: What do you think government has to do on an urgent basis to meet this rising tide of older people?
2: I think one of the things they have to recognize is that the people are going to work longer. And there's very little development done around staying in the labor force longer, re-education, retraining. People are going to require more money for longer. So the same type of skills and training and attitude toward you know equipping you for the labor force that we think of traditionally for young people in school, they're going to have to start paying attention to that and accept that this isn't an aberration. Oh my goodness, people are working longer. This is the way it's going to be.
1: Very interesting. The Mars Discovery District had a whole conference on aging and business. So what does the corporate world have to do to accommodate older workers? First of all, will they want to keep older workers, and what do they have to do to make that happen? Okay.
2: One, of the, one of the biggest things they have to realize, um, since most of the older workers to whom this whole topic applies are dealing with brain power and not physical, uh, you know, physical skills – is the amount of uh, intellectual capital represented by those older workers. And some companies are actually starting to put in programs now to capture that knowledge and involve the older workers in mentoring the younger workers in in sort of, let's call it the brain dump. You know, before Charlie leaves the building, let's find out everything he knows about the business. And there's some very funny stories and some very horrifying stories about what happens uh, when the people leave and all that unofficial knowledge and that non corporate manual knowledge leaves, so one is to cap just to capture that knowledge and then maybe to keep them on as mentors or as the the, the keepers of the corporate memory uh, could go a long way to increasing profitability.
1: Another thing uh, about these new census numbers that seems to have sparked uh, another round of. Zoomer bashing in sure. this uh, so-called war between the generations. What's your take on that?
2: It's exacerbated by the bad economy. If if it was simply, oh, look at all these people working longer, it would be an interesting cultural phenomenon and we would be you know, looking at it very differently because it's urgent. <laughs> And because the millennial generation are so behind the eight ball in terms of job skills and being able to get any get going in this market, then it just flames up, and we see the kind of rhetoric we're seeing.
1: Well, uh, part of it is uh, because the boomer generation has uh, maybe really flunked a bit at parenting those millennials.
2: Well, I think they've you know they've created their own monster in a sense. I mean, and, and here I can be a little bit critical of the boomers. We produced an education system. That consistently watered down uh, skills and traded results for feeling good. And why would we be surprised that uh, we have what we have?
1: So you're saying that the millennials, it's not just a matter that boomers aren't getting out of the way, but they're not equipped and they have very high expectations. They
2: have very unrealistic expectations. By the standards of previous generations, the boomers were very goal-oriented, very hardworking, very acquisitive, very... I want it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to work hard to get it. And by those standards, the millennials today are cream puffs.
1: You wrote an editorial countering <laughs> another editorial yeah. saying that boomers are getting a free ride. In fact, a lot of boomers are supporting their adult children.
2: Sixty percent, 6 in 10 in Canada, are making a financial contribution. may not be full support for their adult children. The number of adult children, let's call it 25 to 29... Living at home today, 30%, and when the boomers were that age, it was 12% or 13%. So they're, you know, they're writing the checks, even and they're reaping what they sowed. And on one, they say, well, why did you let this education system do this? Why did you coddle these kids? But when the rubber meets the road, they're taking out the checkbook. They're not selling that home because the kid's still living in, in the home. They're not retiring because they still need the income, and they're paying a lot of the bills. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Mind you, it is harder. The economy is tough. Real estate is incredibly high. So even even if the kids were doing well, it would be much harder to own a home. I think
2: it would be much harder, and that's why again we're seeing the emergence of these multifamily, you know, sort of uh, grand grand families, because the ability of a parent, let's say in 1970, to say come up with five or six thousand dollars, which would have been more than enough to help the kid buy a forty thousand dollar home. That same exact home today is $700,000, $800,000, so good luck with that. Where do we go from here? I think that some of the acerbic tone and the, the, the inflammatory tone is really just a catalyst. It's forcing us to address these issues sooner and maybe more urgently, and I think it's also going to force more creativity and actually more intergenerational cooperation.
1: Okay. David Kravitz, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: We want to know what you think. Have Zoomers hogged too many resources and left too little for their children and grandchildren? Or are the younger generations expecting too much? Or can we just all get along? Email us, zoomerweek at zoomerradio.ca and give us your opinions. That's zoomerweek at zoomerradio.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's barbecue season, and that means burgers, steaks, hot dogs, sausages. Now, we've all heard these things are bad for us, but research by Dr. Mark Laponis suggests that if you're a hunter type, you shouldn't shy away from eating meat. We'll tell you exactly what that means in a moment.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
1: Are you a hunter or a farmer? I'm not asking about your work or your hobbies, but about your body type. Canyon Ranch medical director and author Dr. Mark Laponis, says knowing the answer to this question is the key to reaching and maintaining your ideal weight. He'll be speaking at Idea City about his new book, The Hunter-Farmer Diet, and I reached him at his office in California. Dr. Mark Liponis, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Great to be here, me Thank you.
1: We all know so many people, especially in our demographic, have a hard time achieving a healthy weight and maintaining it, and you say you have a solution.
3: It's really about individualizing. It's about personalizing the approach to eating, and, and it's not just about losing weight. It's about eating right for you and to help you get healthy and prevent illness, not just to lose weight.
1: You call it the hunter-farmer diet. Explain. Explain.
3: Well, there's actually two diets. There's the hunter diet and there's the farmer diet. As you can imagine, they're very different. The hunter diet is a very high-protein diet. It's a diet that a person eats more intermittently, not, not so often. The farmer diet is more a grain-based diet. It's more a carbohydrate-based diet. It's actually more of a grazing kind of diet. And they are almost opposite approaches that different people need depending on their body type.
1: And you're saying that most people are either a hunter or or a farmer, and very few are an equal blend of each. Is that right?
3: Well, sure, and it's, it comes down to genetics, and that is, you know, did we have hunter-type parents or farmer-type parents, and what did that do, you know, how did that leave us? Our listeners are probably wondering, what are we talking about? What you mean. And these two people are actually very different. They look different. They act differently, and they, they have different-looking blood and different metabolisms. So they're very different in terms of how their, their body works.
1: How do you know if you're a hunter or a farmer?
3: There's two basic, easy ways to figure it out. The first is where somebody gains weight, and the hunters tend to gain more belly fat.
1: And how do you tell if you're a farmer?
3: Well, the farmer has more butt, leg, and hip fat. They actually tend to put on more fat under the skin, and so they tend to have bigger, wider hips than the hunter. So they tend to put on more weight in the lower body. The belly fat is more prone to diabetes, more prone to cardiovascular disease. They're likely to have more heart disease, more stroke, more high blood pressure. And the hunter type is the type that has more belly fat, and they really don't do well with carbs. They have to reduce their carbohydrate intake. They have to control their intake of carbs, and particularly the grains. And the reason, you know, I call them hunters is, you know, if you think about what a hunter could eat, you know, a hunter, or let's say a hunter-gatherer, you know, they could kill an animal. They could catch a fish. They could find uh, a nut, a fruit, a root, a berry, something like that. It was all fine. Well, what what couldn't a hunter get? Well, a hunter can't hunt a loaf of bread. They can't hunt pasta. They can't hunt oatmeal. They can't hunt cereal, the grains. So the hunter can't, can't eat the grains. That's, that's what the hunter has to be careful about. The hunters and the farmers have very different looking blood. The hunters, they have higher blood sugar. They have lower HDL, the good cholesterol level. They have higher triglycerides. So all of those factors contribute to pushing them farther down the line towards diabetes and heart problems. The farmer, on the other hand, has the opposite. They have a very low level of triglycerides. They have a very good HDL, and they have low blood sugar. And, of course, they need a different diet. They need the grain-based diet.
1: Is it basically that simple uh, that if you're a hunter and you eat more protein, that'll work better for you, and if you're a farmer, you have to eat more grains? Well, yeah,
3: it is simple in that way, but it's not quite that simple. You know, the answer really is that... For weight loss, uh, it's really important for us to eat less. It's hard to lose weight if we don't change our eating habits. So it's really about learning to eat less. If you're the hunter type, you eat less grain, less carbohydrate. If you're the farmer type, you eat less fat. Very different.
1: The blanket things we hear now... You know, red meat is bad for you and you should only have these tiny little servings of of protein.
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny how we've come to this conclusion without a lot of science. And and even though this is the prevailing wisdom of the day, there's not a lot of science to back that up. And, you know, honestly, it, it really doesn't make sense that all of us should be more vegetarians because, you know, humans have been on the planet for 195,000 years and for all but the last 12,000, we've been hunters, you know. There are no woolly mammoths on the planet anymore. You know why? We ate them. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's really only been the last 12,000 years we've actually learned how to cultivate grains and that started you know, in Sumeria back 12,000 years ago.
1: Well, what do you say to the people and some of them are the food gurus who say basically eat less, mostly green stuff. And then if you look at the people who've done research on longevity, uh, you know, with say the blue zones, when they look at where do you have people with large collections of, of people who live to be 100 and you find out that they eat more plants than meat. Yeah, I like
3: the idea of eat less. That I do like. Uh, but what they haven't proved yet is when somebody is eating right for their type, whether that's meat or not, how they do. In other words, the long-term comparative studies looking at you know, meat eaters versus vegetarians, if they're eating right for their body type, that study hasn't been done.
1: And now, can your type change over time?
3: there are times in our lives when maybe it can shift a little bit towards the hunter direction, and that's mainly with aging. You know, as we age, uh, we tend to lose a little bit of the sensitivity to the hormone insulin, and that's really the difference between the hunter and the farmer. And that means, you know, after the age of 50, we're going to tend to skew a little bit more toward the hunter side with age.
1: Dr. Mark Laponis, thanks so much.
3: Thanks, Lily. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Bye. You can take the hunter-farmer quiz at hunterfarmerdiet.com. And you can hear and meet Dr. Laponis at Idea City coming up at Kerner Hall, June 13th through the 15th.
0: The answer
1: is blowing in the wind. This week, Bob Dylan was awarded the U.S. Medal of Freedom. Coming up, we'll hear some of the music that left a giant mark on American culture.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing,
1: making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. This week, Bob Dylan was awarded the Medal of Freedom by U.S. President Barack Obama. It's America's highest civilian award, and it was given to Dylan for his contributions to popular culture. Obama remarked that he listened to Dylan in college and felt that his world opened up because Dylan captured something about America that was so vital. We'll honor Bob Dylan with one of his early tunes, a song that became iconic. Here is The Times They Are a-Changing.
0: Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around
1: you have grown Oh, the times they are a-changing That was Bob Dylan with The Times They Are a-Changing. Dylan was awarded the Medal of Freedom by U.S. President Barack Obama this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next week. With all this talk of us living longer than ever, we'll need to sort out our finances. And the wealthy barber, David Chilton, will be here to help us do just that. See you then.